0: Good morning, my name is Sharon and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Agnico Eagle First Quarter Results 2020 Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. Mr. Sean Boyd, you may begin your
1: conference. Thank you, Operator, and uh, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome, and thank you for joining our first quarter 2020 uh, conference call. Um, This presentation does include forward-looking statements, so just want everybody to be forewarned. Um, Hopefully, wherever you are, we're doing this remotely as well, so hopefully, wherever you are, um, you're safe, you're doing well, and your family is doing well. Uh, Because we're doing this uh, remotely, um, during the Q&A, I'll direct the questions and hopefully that goes uh, smoothly because we've got um, our senior staff uh, working from home uh, patched in online. Um, But as I go through the presentation, I want to spend some time just on our thinking and mindset around the challenges around uh, COVID-19 and how we've managed it, really how we're thinking about the business. sort of move through um, the issues around uh, COVID-19. I think, as you know, um, we've been challenged more than most companies uh, in the quarter, having seven of our eight operating mines uh, reduced to minimum activities. We'll get into uh, that, how we managed it, how we managed that with our people, uh, what it meant for our assets. We'll talk a little bit about that, but as we went through it. of our employees, the well-being of our employees, the comfort level of the families. Um, So we've been able to manage through that very successfully. And while we were doing that, um, and even on minimum activities, we were still able uh, to position uh, the assets and look after some um, issues that uh, we had been managing uh, through Q1 so that we could have a strong uh, second half. Um, In terms of our actual response, to the pandemic. Um, uh, as you said, uh, as we've said many times before, it's a long-term business. You have to think long-term. Although um, the pandemic is devastating, there's a lot of loss associated with it, um, things will improve. And so the question is, is manage through um, the pandemic and look beyond it. Um, our view is things will likely never get back to where they were a lot of the protocols and measures that we've put in place will likely have to continue um, for many months into the future and we'll talk a little bit about that but we think as an industry the gold industry is is better positioned than most in terms of managing and in terms of um, getting back uh, to a situation closer to normal where we can take advantage of um, a price deck uh, for our product that's uh, as strong as it's been in in seven or eight years. So that provides certain advantages and also dictates the strategy. So as we said, we've been very focused around um, hygiene, uh, around screening, uh, around physical distancing. And uh, in terms of positioning, as I've said, the industry is in a much better position than most because our physical distancing challenges are a relatively short duration. Um, in things like cages where we're uh, in close quarters for a few minutes at a time. It's not like we have as an industry extended period of times where we're uh, right on top of each other. So we can actually manage the business um, uh, a lot better than most industries. We'll talk a little bit about that as we get into the mines and how we've dealt with this on, on some of the mines. Uh, we've also, we've all also employed testing. Uh, which is another layer of protection. We've tested all of our Nunavut employees. We've tested all of our employees in Finland. Uh, We hope to expand that testing. We were involved in a a pilot project in Nunavut. Um, That's how we got access to the uh, quick testing method. That testing method has now been approved by provincial and the federal governments. Uh, We're in a good position there. As we said, we're looking to expand that, hopefully bring that to Valdor. I think the other thing that stood out for us here is really on the ESG side. Uh, As we've said before, we found ourselves in a position where in in a lot of the areas we operate, we're in a much better position than even the governments and the communities uh, to provide critical services and to provide critical health to the communities. Uh, For example, in Mexico, we actually have more healthcare capacity at our mines than many of the communities do. Uh, We have as many doctors as the communities do. We have more uh, sophisticated medical equipment like ventilators. Uh, We have more ambulances. So we're in a position to uh, help those communities. We did set up a separate facility uh, for the government at the government's request. We opened up an old mining camp uh, to provide, if needed, in the community an isolation centre. So on the social side of things, we've been doing things like that, but also in uh, Nunavut, we're providing food hampers on a regular basis to over 450 families in multiple communities. Uh, we're able to transport equip, uh, key supplies to those communities on our flights from the south. Uh, we've been investing in food banks. So um, all of this is something we would do uh, normally anyways as, as part of the way we think, but it's also, I think, focused governments and communities on the benefits of mining as the governments and the communities are looking for leadership, looking for assistance, Um, and that actually builds the case for mining. And I think many of you know, we started a We Make Mining Work social media advocacy campaign last year, and this really hammers home um, that message. But I also think it's important as we move forward, because all of us have no idea how this is going to play out. And one of the things we saw was that, different governments approach mining um, from a different perspective. Some called it essential, some called it non-essential. We were in regions where initially it was determined non-essential, but I think the governments realized, particularly in Quebec, that it was although initially determined non-essential, it was a high-priority industry that not only was able to benefit the communities, but also was able to provide well-paying jobs, uh, pay significant tax uh, dollars towards the government and I think one of our jobs here as we go forward is to ensure that we continue to make the case for mining because we don't know if there's a second wave coming we don't know how long this is going to go and that's why we've been very careful with the restarts is take leadership demonstrate this works demonstrate that we can protect our employees demonstrate that we can make our employees uh, families comfortable so that um, if there is a second wave or this thing continues for a while Um, we can continue to do what we do well in the communities and continue to operate our businesses. So we're very focused on on those initiatives. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about that um, as we get into um, some of the uh, specifics on the sites. As far as the first quarter, the the big impact was really uh, nine days of shutdowns at our Quebec operations. Um, Two of our Quebec mines were our best cash flow generators historically. Um, For nine days in the quarter, the back end of the quarter, two of our best cash-generating mines uh, were down, as was Goldex. It also impacted our operations in Nunavut, because one of the things we did do in Nunavut is to protect the communities in Nunavut, because that's a high risk, those communities are at high risk. Um, They have a history of lung issues and poor health. Uh, they live in quote, close quarters, so we made a decision early on, early on to isolate our operations from the communities and have our none of it workforce go home. And that continues uh, to this day. We're still working on plans to bring them back. We're still working on plans to fill in uh, while they're still at home, uh, allowing us to continue to ramp up. So that was a key. Also. Um, a strategy but it also did impact our operations. I'll talk a little bit about that but we've restarted um, in Quebec. We'll talk about that and we're also ramping up in Nunavut which is all about really positioning the business for the second half where we expect to return to production levels and the cost levels to those that we saw um, as we closed uh, 2019 very strong in the fourth quarter of last year. We're also focused on free cash flow generation our overall capex numbers will come down from roughly 740 to 690 so that'll certainly help in terms of generating free cash flow and we still have a lot of confidence in our business and we've maintained our dividend our quarterly dividend at 20 cents uh us uh, per share as far as an operational update um the focus was, number one, priority, deal with COVID-19 and the impacts, uh, look after our employees, try to manage a business where we were uh, shutting down, uh, basically, the minimum activity. Seven seven our eight lines. So we're dealing with thousands of employees in multiple communities. That wasn't easy. As we've said, in my 35 years, this is the busiest sort of seven or eight weeks I've ever had. Uh, I think just based on the complexity of all the things that are involved, in managing through this, but uh, we didn't lose sight of what we needed to do at the assets. The teams did an amazing job um, at sort of managing uh, things they needed to do at the asset level. Uh, everybody knows that we had plans to upgrade infrastructure uh, at the West Mine at Laurent. Whatever we had planned to do, we got done uh, in the first quarter. In fact, we were actually, before we had to suspend operations, we actually were in the West Mine area developing. We've actually just taken the first production blast in the west mine area within the last 24 hours. So, um, so far so good as we continue to uh, ramp up uh, at La and we're also looking at ways that we can increase the uh, mining rate at the neighboring property at La and we'll talk a little bit about that in the La section. At Meliadine the job, one of the main jobs, was to uh, fix the uh, feeding system to the crushing plant. Um, That was repaired uh, in March. We had actually been running the plant at over 4,000 tons a day prior to having to reduce activities there. Um, So we had good indications before we were impacted by COVID um, that things would uh, work well with the repairs. Ultimately, we're getting a new unit in, but the the repairs have gone well. The mill is actually operating at 85% capacity from underground ore and stockpile as we continue to ramp up in the mine area we'll talk a little bit about that at Meadowbank the focus was just uh, getting uh, caught up and uh, catching up on equipment maintenance backlog getting the lake bed material out of the open pit uh, creating more mining surfaces uh, we've been running at 50% in our mining rate due to reduced activities there and as we move into the second half we, we expect to be back to normal levels at uh, in Nunavut at both of the sites uh, um, we're really excited about exploration uh, in the quarter. Uh, I think what we're seeing there is, uh, we've mentioned this before, is there seems to be a lot of life left in these old mining camps, a lot more potential. We have been saying that in the past with respect to East Goldie, and we've been saying that with respect to what we're seeing on the old Bousquet property at LZ5, but we're now seeing it again, interestingly enough, um, at Laurent and La uh, is blessed with the thickest package of favorable rock in that whole sector. When you go from going on the old Cambior, IM Gold, to Bousquet, which was Barrick, to La to the east, uh, which is ours, um, we were blessed with the thickest package of rock. So we always had multiple lenses in that with various types of mineralization. And what we were seeing in the west zone, which we've talked about in the past, is a repeat of what we saw 25 years ago in terms of um, small north south fractures that were filled with a lot of visible gold that uh, were situated parallel to our drilling, so we never really picked them up. And that's why we're seeing that upgrading in the West Mine area. But we've actually seen something else that we saw many, many years ago. We're actually seeing what looks like the reappearance of the 20 North Zinc Southland uh which is massive sulfide Uh, we're seeing decent thicknesses uh we're waiting assays but we're seeing massive sulfide over sort of true thicknesses of eight to ten meters uh which suggests lots of zinc uh lots of silver uh still need to do the assays but it's situated in an area which makes sense it's on the eastern side of the deposit it's still wide open Um, So we've got a program to continue the drilling off to the east and uh, it wouldn't surprise us as we have the reappearance of that lens uh, below three kilometers, which could make it interesting. Those lenses tend to have a lot of tons in them. Um, So it's early, remains to be seen, but it shows you that there's a lot of life left in this camp. At Canadian Malarctic, we continue to drill East Goldie. I think East Goldie is important because just with Odyssey and East Malarctic, it was never going to work. It was too low grade on its own. It just didn't make sense. Uh, East Goldie, given the tonnage, uh, given the uptick in grade, the better grades, uh, gives us a chance now. Uh, It's still early. Uh, We continue to get good results. We're getting uh, decent thicknesses in a higher grade core, but we've only drilled it on spacings of about 150 meters. Uh, The um, plan and strategy now over the next 18 months is to tighten up that drill spacing uh, to about 75 meters and hopefully we continue to confirm the continuity and the geometry of the deposit uh, so that we can upgrade uh, the resource classification and so that we can understand what's possible and what ultimately that Yamana and Ignico can put together uh, for that opportunity at Canadian Malarctic. And Santa Gertrudis. we put out some pretty good holes. We've got some recent drill holes Um, which continue to look good. Um, So that's going to be a focus of our Mexican business to try to understand how that fits in uh, as we move forward. Just briefly on the operating results. Um, Again, these were impacted by temporary shutdowns and reduced activities. Um, I'll just highlight two here. Uh, Goldex, even without nine days at the end of March, uh, was still above its budget. Very good productivity there. And Kittsula. Um, has uh, remained open. We had a uh, temporary uh, shutdown of the underground mine. We'll talk about that. But uh, even with that, uh, they were above their budget as well. So uh, good performance from those mines. Um, On The financial highlights, EPS, a bit noisy. Uh, That's really driven by um, the weakening of our local currencies against the U.S. dollar, particularly the Canadian dollar, which on January 1 was 1.3. Um, end of March 1.42. So that had the impact of um, impacting our deferred tax liabilities. So we had to add back 18% to our headline earnings and also we had mark to market on our foreign exchange and diesel hedges uh, of about 9 cents. So normalized earnings of 23 cents per share. So not bad given that we were impacted in the back half of March. Uh, due to COVID. On the financial position, uh, at the start of this we didn't really understand or know how this would unfold. We just wanted to be ultra careful, Uh, no magic to the number. We decided to draw down a billion dollars on our credit line of 1.2 billion. We've paid back uh, half a million. We expect to pay the balance as we continue to ramp up uh, our production over the next uh, few months. Uh, We did uh, pay down our maturity on April 7th, $360 million. Um, we did term $200 million of that out, um, which given the volatility in the markets and the way that Treasuries were moving around, our team did a very good job because that was not easy. Um, in fact, the week that we did that debt deal, there was only, I think, about six debt deals done that week in all of the U.S. market. And normally there's dozens and dozens of these things done um, so we got it done. Average of 11 years at 2.83%. Um, if we had waited a week, um, the deals that were done a week later, they were much better credits than ours. They were paying for the same term, about a percent more in interest. So our team did a good job uh, getting that done. So our debt, our overall debt, came down um, in terms of net debt because we did pay down 160 million of that. Um, over and above the term out uh, to reduce that, we did get a credit upgrade by CBRs, and we did have uh, Fitch um, issue their inaugural credit rating on us with a rating of triple uh, B with a stable outlook. So all of that again um, is positive as we look forward. So I'll go through this uh, fairly quickly, and we'll open it up uh, for questions. I think, LaRon, as we mentioned, the emphasis was really just doing the ground support. So we can get back into the West Mine. As you know, that's a higher grade area. Uh, we have, um, this was seen last year when we we're in a significant upgrade of 30 to 50% and contained gold uh, due to the uh, north-south fractures and a lot of visible gold in that system. So it's important to get back in there. Um, that drives production, drives production growth as we go forward. Uh, so I think that was important to get back there. Uh, the key there as we deal with COVID Um, As we looked at our Quebec operations and began to call people back as the Quebec government on April 15th allowed the reopening of mining, um, just the process, each of the employees were called individual by their supervisors, we sent them a video which outlined in visual form what they were going to see when they came back to the sites in terms of screening in terms of hygiene, in terms of physical distancing. And I think one of the key things, which is um, uh, from a mining perspective, really jumps out at you is the the way we're managing the cage. And each of the employees enter the cage. We're operating that at 50% capacity. Each of the employees enter the cage one by one. Uh, They're separated by a curtain. They can't face each other. They can't look at each other. Um, They can't talk to each other. Um, so they're in that cage for five, five plus minutes. Um, so, you know, that's been well accepted. We had 90% take up on the return to work. It's all voluntary. We're not forcing anybody to come back to work. Not only do the employees have to be comfortable, the uh, families have to be comfortable. So what we found when people returned, they were excited to back, be back to work, excited to see uh, their fellow employees. Uh, so things are going well. Um, as we go forward, I guess the big question is, well, okay, these types of things may extend uh, for much longer and many months. Now, how do we offset the lack, or the drop in productivity from some of these uh, uh, new measures? Uh, we believe that, um, well, we already started a program to understand sort of the optimal size of our workforce. And the fact that we've had to scale back at seven or eight mines gives us a better feel as we reintroduce people slowly, what the optimal size should be. And most of the people that haven't been put back in yet would be the contract workforce. So we're hoping we can be more efficient with that contract workforce. Um, That could introduce some savings to possibly offset uh, some of this um, uh, productivity loss through these new measures. Um, But it's still early, we're still learning. Uh, but for, we're confident that um, we're going to get a, a really good feel of how this is going to work going forward, uh, largely because we've, we've been forced to scale back. And we're actually doing more productivity with less workers in places like Nunavut than we were doing before. So we really have to let this play out um, as we go forward. So jumping to Canadian Malarctic. Uh, We did start that mill uh, shortly after uh, things were allowed to reopen. We restarted it on April the 17th, running about 60,000 tons a day, running off a stockpile as we ramp up the mining activities. So that restart has gone well. We mentioned Goldex. The productivity is is really driven by really good performance in the rail there. So that was a great add and a great use of old technology, just adapting it in in a new format. And tailoring it to that particular operation. And we're also benefiting from higher grades and more tons in the South Zone. And the South Zone, I think, is going to be driving um, good solid performance at Gold X for several quarters as we move forward. At Meadowbank, the focus was just managing the communities as it was at Meliadine, having the Inuit workforce go home, isolate the operations um, from uh, the community is going to a 28-day rotation from 14. Again, that was all voluntary. We're not forcing people to go up for 28 days. We had more volunteers than we had spaces, um, so that's a good sign. That rotation is working well. Ultimately, we have to come back to something less than 28 days. That's a long period of time to be up there. Uh, but that help, helps the productivity uh, because we're having fewer changeovers. Uh, so I think that's a plus and that's positive as we work through uh, the issues around COVID. The focus there was just catch up on maintenance, remove the lake bed material, open up more faces uh, in the open pit. Uh, we went down to 50% of our mining rate. Um, we stopped the mill, uh, we're building a sufficient stockpile, we've just resumed long haul trucking uh, to bring the ore to Meadowbank. Uh, we've done a lot of improvements on getting the parts from Meadowbank to the Amaroop site. Uh, there's still work to do at this one. So of the three, Laron, Meliadine, and Amaroop, we always said this was sort of Q1, Q2. The others were more Q1, um, so there's still a bit of work to do and a bit of catch-up to do because of COVID, but they've made a lot of good progress there, and it's set up for a much stronger second half as we resume production and get up to over 9,000 uh, tons a day in the second half. At Meliadine, as we said. Apron issue feeders were will, will resolved, uh, they function, they work well, uh, but even in February, i got to give the team credit, even with no apron feeder, uh, the workaround, we were able to do 3,300 tons a day in February, even with the workaround. Uh, so getting the apron feeder repaired uh, with manufactured parts, we have the spare plates in from the manufacturer. Uh, we should get the other unit in in July, August when the barges come in. Um, so so far so good there. Um, we're running that plant now at about uh, 3,500 tons a day. Uh, Q3 about 4,000 tons a day. Uh, Q4 about 4,600 tons a day. We've started to pump out the um, the additional mining horizon. Um, so we're in a position to continue to move that part of the mine forward as we pump it out and get to developing that area so that's what's going to drive the additional tons in q4 but also that's one of the higher grade areas of the underground mine that's why we're comfortable on the meliodine uh, production uh, profile so um, as we look at um, meliodine and we look at um, meadowbank one of the things that we have to do is reintegrate the Nunavut workforce. Uh, At this point, they're not ready to come back. Um, I think there's still anxiety. They have had one case of COVID-19 in Nunavut. It appeared uh, this week. It's in Pond Inlet at the northern tip of uh, Baffin Island, so not near any of our operations, but there's still some unease and anxiety there. So uh, we can actually ramp up. Uh, We can use um, contract workers. We can use uh, employees that we had Uh, plan to have come in in the summer uh, to do some of the the duties that uh, we had our Inuit workforce. They're still a key part of our operations. We want them back, but we only want them back when it's safe for them to come back and they're comfortable coming back. At uh, Kittala, again, we said it's uh, above budget. Um, They have been the only mine that's really maintained the processing through the entire quarter. They did have an employee test positive. They isolated the employee right away when he was uh, feeling not well. Um, They did contract tracing. They tested immediately the people that he had contact in uh, prior to him not feeling well. All of those tests came back negative. The employee is better now. We have actually tested all of our employees in Finland. Uh, No other issues there. And uh, I think the Finnish team did a really good job reacting, responding, following protocol, uh, taking isolation steps, uh, contacting public health authorities, working with them to do the contact tracing and ensure that the spread uh, was not um, more widespread than uh, just impacting one employee. So good work on behalf of And In the southern business, Mexico has taken the position that in April uh, all non-essential businesses were to go to minimum activities. We're still doing some Uh, getting gold out of the leach pads um, at those operations, particularly in India. Uh, The government has subsequently extended that now to the end of May. Uh, They have made a, they do have um, an opportunity that if you're operating a business in a region where uh, the COVID-19 is not a major issue, where there's very few cases, that they will consider allowing those industries and those businesses to start back up. Uh, that date would, could be May 18th. So we're certainly in an area right now where um, there's not a lot of cases there. Uh, so there may be an opportunity that we can get back to work uh, before the end of May, early June. So we're gonna continue to monitor that. Our team's working very closely with the secretary of the economy that's responsible for the mines uh, to highlight what we're able to do in the community and the fact that we can still protect our employees and uh, and run our business. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, operator, if you can open the lines for questions, we'll try to see how this works remotely. I'll try to direct the questions to those of uh, members of the team that are online that can respond uh, to the questions. Thank you very
2: I'd much.
0: Like, if you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. First question comes from Frahad Tariq with Credit Suisse.
3: Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, just the first one, is a clarification. The 480 to 500,000 ounces per quarter in the second half, that incorporates uh, any productivity losses. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
3: Okay. And then uh, my other question, um, you know, second half of the year is obviously looking very good from a free cash flow perspective. Uh, you don't have any debt maturity. The revolver will get repaid. Uh, just high level, what are some of the free cash flow capital allocation priorities?
1: Well, I think the focus uh, on that side really doesn't change. Uh, for us, it was still always to find that balance between uh, reducing debt. Uh, essentially, improving financial flexibility, uh, reinvesting in our highest quality projects—not the entire pipeline. The emphasis is still trying to stage that out, and that's why we're, you know we're continuing fairly actively drilling some of the key projects to get a better feel for the relative ranking and prominence of the projects within the pipeline. And then uh, clearly, we're looking to uh, move the dividend up and. Um, we we, no one really knows how this will all unfold but I think as we said uh, we alluded to at the start um, you know this has been devastating uh, you know for many people but also for industries and a lot of industries are going to take a long time to come back Um, the mining industry particularly the gold mining industry is one that can come back fairly quickly into a much better pricing environment for the product and given the stimulus that's been thrown you know at the economies um, the prospects for gold are pretty good um, we're not sure how again there's no guarantees on this but um, I think uh, it it kind of reminds me a bit of now I'm dating myself but it kind of reminds me a bit of 7980, um, where the gold price moved fairly quickly um, to a level that uh,
3: companies didn't
1: really anticipate And the amount of cash that was generated by the industry in a very short period of time was huge and i saw that when i first walked into a gecko in 1983 um, as an auditor and they had uh, as much almost as much cash as their market cap and that's the year that they instituted the first cash dividend because of that and so you know i would expect gold to hit a new high in u.s dollars it's hit a new high in almost in, in every other major currency. And um, so the industry is gonna do really well at 1,700. It's gonna do tremendously well at 2,000. The question then becomes, um, your question becomes even more important at that point because what we need as an industry is the discipline to make sure that the bulk of that gets returned to shareholders. And uh, you can see that Paul Penna made the right move way back when because he had way more cash than he could actually put to good use. And he decided uh, when it wasn't the norm back then um, to start the dividend. And even in 1980, we actually paid a special dividend at one point. So that's going to continue to be our focus if we're fortunate enough uh, to continue at $1,700 plus and maybe 2000 plus at some point. Thank you.
0: Next question comes from Ralph Profitti with 8 Capital.
3: Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, Sean, it's good to see the sort of you know, turnaround and things going well uh, in the west area of Laurent. Um, if I can maybe ask a question as you sort of put some focus on this expansion uh, at LZ5. We've seen the grades come down to about 2 grams a ton in the last few quarters. I was wondering if that's sort of a, a, a good go-forward assumption um, on some of the grades that we can associate with this potential expansion.
1: Yeah, I think that's roughly where we um, are looking at. I don't see where we're not sort of forecasting a a big bump in grade. That's generally what you get there. I think the strategy there is that the reason that we actually went there um, in the first place was not just to get 100,000 or 200,000 ounces and make a little bit of money, Ultimately, there's several hundred thousand ounces over there that were left at a much lower gold price by the previous owners. Um, it was almost similar to the thinking and strategy around Goldex. Spend $90 million to reopen it after the issues we had in 2011. Um, take a view that we only had three years um, of mine life for that $90 million, and we'll probably end up getting 10 to 12 years. Um, so we're not looking for grade bump, but we're looking for more tons. Uh, which is good return, uh, good cash flow, uh, particularly at these gold prices, and the extra benefit we've had from there is the ability to test our automated equipment. Test it in an environment which isn't as complex as LaRon, because I guess one of the things that this issue and pandemic has highlighted, the more you can use automated equipment, uh, the better off your employees are, it's safer, you can respect physical distancing, so all of those were a real bonus on LZ5. Uh, Yvonne, I don't know if you have anything to add in terms of um, mining and moving forward on just ramping up some tons and what we're seeing over there. yeah, I think the uh, just moving up in tonnage has been the the biggest focus. I think
2: we've uh, uh, rearranged the uh, the engineering team to focus on Larone at depth and uh, basically understanding the potential in that area, so uh, the group has been focused on some satellite zones, higher-grade satellite zones that have, were left behind in the barrack days. So these are, uh, as we go further at depth, uh, they're also integrating some of these ideas in uh, future life of mine. And we'll update as we uh, get more information on those.
3: Okay, great. Um, separate question on, on Kittala and, uh, you know, the, the, the prudence of delaying the shaft expansion. I've seen in the couple of quarters towards late 2019, you sort of hit that 500,000 tons on a quarterly basis. So I was wondering, exclusive of the shaft expansion, do you think you can you can push uh, operations there to get to that 2 million ton uh,
1: annualized rate without the expansion? Uh, I'll just start, and then I'll I'll get Yvonne to fill in some of the details. Um, the shaft um, project uh, was impacted by COVID. It really wasn't a decision. Um, to uh, sort of suspend it outside of COVID. The shaft sinking contractor, the the workers were Canadian. So we needed to to make sure those Canadians got home um, as this thing started to uh, ramp up. So the focus was on making sure they got home. Um, Our team in Finland has been in touch with the Canadian ambassador to Finland to uh, start working on uh, a, a program to get the Canadian workers back so that we can get that uh, project back on track but Yvonne maybe you can fill in some of the details
2: yeah specifically to your question it's a good point uh, the both the mill and the mine uh, presently and probably till the end of 2021 will be in a position to get it up to that uh, 500,000 tons uh, per quarter um, so that's that's a good thing um, uh, as we go further uh, the sooner the better the shaft is completed, the cost structure on the ground uh, changes drastically. So there's a lot of uh, um, focus on trying to complete this project as soon as we can uh, because of the uh, um, the magnitude of the cost reduction. Uh, as we're starting to mine below like uh, five, 600 levels, the 10-kilometer factors on the hauling is getting a little bit uh, uh, more challenging.
3: That's good clarity. Thank you.
0: Next question comes from Greg Barnes with TD Securities.
3: Yes, thank you. Sean or Yvonne, can you talk a little bit more about the uh, saline water issues at done and the PACE backfill, what you've done to address uh, the issues that you talked about in the Q4 results?
1: Yeah, I think on the PACE backfill and uh, reduced activities there, we kept mining. So it was important to uh, continue to mine. Uh, continue to process, and while we we're mining at reduced rates and processing a little bit less, I think we we're processing around 3,000 tons a day versus the plan at 4, we were able to catch up on some voids and backfill. We've also used consolidated rock fill, uh, so we've done a really good job just catching up on that, which is important. As far as saline water, it's more about really permits. Um, we continue to engage uh, the, the authorities. I think everybody acknowledges that. Uh, the best solution is a pipeline, rather than have us truck uh, water and dump that water during the summer season because those trucks uh, kick up an awful lot of dust. So um, we've been engaged at the, um, the local level um, with our Inuit partners and in Inuit associations, with the Nunavut government, at the federal level who's also involved in that permitting, Uh, to make that case so we still expect to get those permits later this year we still expect to have a pipeline in place uh, next year Uh, we've got storage capacity uh, for two years Um, the cost is is capital Uh, from an operating cost perspective it'll be cheaper Um, so it's really the answer to make um, it's the right environmental solution and it's really the answer to Uh, be more productive in terms of water management water management is kind of the biggest issue now versus where where things were at 10 years ago from a mining perspective so this would certainly help so we don't we haven't had any pushback on that people understand that's the best way to go it's just a matter of going through the permit process
2: thanks sean
0: next question comes from carrie mccurry with canaccord genuities
2: Good morning, guys. Uh, good
1: morning, Sean. Morning. Longer-term question. Longer-term question. Uh, Carrie, you may have to speak up a bit. We're having trouble uh, hearing you.
3: Okay, just, is that better?
1: That's a lot better, thank you. Okay,
3: yeah, maybe a longer term question. You mentioned, you know, being potentially in a healthy gold price environment here. Just wondering how you think about your, you know, project pipeline beyond, you know, the phase two at Amuruk and Malia Dean and you know are there projects there that you know you think can move forward or do you think you would need to supplement that, with, supplement that with M&A at some point? Um,
1: well I think if you look at how we built the business since 05 we've done a lot of smaller deals so we're certainly focused uh, in terms of our evaluation work uh, still monitoring sort of single asset projects but there's nothing out there we feel compelled to own at the moment. Um, you know people say hey maybe this is an opportunity to be proactive and maybe aggressive during you know this period we don't see that at all uh, we haven't really sped up our project evaluation work it's just been sort of uh, disciplined and measured just trying to understand things uh, but what we're really trying to do uh, ahead of that is just understand like what do we have at Kirkland Lake you know there's likely a buildable mine there at Upper Beaver but how does it fit um, you know, we continue to watch with interest what our neighbor is doing in terms of drill results on their structures. So I think that camp has a lot of potential. Uh, where, is that, where should that asset land? Um, you know, that's a question that has to be resolved at some point. Uh, we like it. Our exploration team has always liked it. They've liked it for 10 years, even when Charlie Page had it at Queenston. Um, certainly the gold price helps, but it's, it has to stand on its own. And so, we would have to stack that up against uh, things like the underground of Malartic, uh, you know, how that one fits in. Uh, two years ago, that one was not going to make it. Um, with East Goldie, it's certainly got a lot more potential, but again, as we said, it's still early. Um, that has the potential to extend the life of Malardic, uh for quite a while. Um, and with East Goldie, you have the potential, uh, when you add in Odyssey and East Malardic, you have the potential for a fairly sizable underground mine at some point, but in order to determine what that is exactly, we need to drill it. So I think what we've told our team is that the drill priorities, your drill priorities should be focused on the pipeline, and we need to understand that pipeline. Um, and so the focus on the drill priorities is Laurent. Are, these, are there new zones emerging at depth? Wouldn't surprise us given the history. Uh, given the favorable rock package, given the thickness of that, um, the fact is we're drilling into an area we really hadn't drilled in in the past. Does this mean it goes much further east? It may. So, you know, these are the types of things we're trying to fit in. But I don't, I don't sense that um, we're not. Um, we don't have the the appetite for a massive building phase. Uh, we don't think it's necessary. Uh, we'd rather think. Uh, the strategy worked so are there other things out there we could add at a decent price and work and work into the pipeline but in order to determine whether those are any good we need to understand our own pipeline better so it'll be more measured continue to be measured
3: okay great thank you and maybe just on Malartic um any any advance on the discussions around the royalties
1: there that you can comment on no we just put that on hold I don't think um uh, well, I think the position that both Humana and geCO are taking is that we need to think about it um, as uh, how does it look under the existing conditions, making no assumptions that those conditions could change. Um, and the good thing about that, um, when you actually own it 100% with a partner, uh, you direct every drill hole, you you apply every budget, uh, every dollar that you wanna spend on it, and uh you determine the pace and you've got it in the hands of uh, some pretty good underground mining companies that have experience, so we're gonna work at it at, work on it at a pace that makes sense, but we're gonna drill it, and uh we need to tighten up the spacing as we said uh but although early um our guys like it
2: great, thank you.
0: Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. We have a question from Tanya Jekunsiak with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
4: Yes. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, morning. I just wanted to come back to none of it, if I could, for either Sean or or Yvonne. Maybe just talk a little bit about. I know you're, you've you've got a reduced workforce right now. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how? You're looking at the the requirements that you need to ramp up to to capacity um, to get there for the second half, just on each of the sites, and um, you know how you're going to get there with manpower and how you're redirecting some of the jobs.
1: Well, you look at four. uh, I'll start. You have four to five hundred employees with various skill levels. Um, So, um, you know. That is a much smaller subset when you look at, you know, which of those employees are actually involved in critical mining uh, tasks and responsibilities. Um, So these are jobs that uh, can be filled in by contractors. Some of them can be filled in by uh, our rotation in the summer. We usually do a fair amount of hiring uh, during the summer. We get a lot of take up in the summer. Uh, a lot of these jobs wouldn't take a lot in terms of training. Um, as we said, ultimately, we want our Nunavut workforce back, but there's a way that we can manage sort of ahead of that, and the strategy is really around contracts. So we've already started that process um, to, to, to assume that you know, this may take uh, through the summer before the Inuit workforce is comfortable coming back. Um, we don't know for sure. Uh, we were engaged and, and, and talking to them uh, on a regular basis, but maybe Yvonne, you can uh, sort of fill in some of the details there.
2: Yeah, well, I think like you have to look at it from uh, each each operation standpoint. At Meliodine, uh there's not too much concern going forward uh, ramping up because like we're we're already roughly about 75% of uh, of normal workforce at site. Uh, and adding uh, personnel underground, mostly, uh, we're in a position that uh, we'll we'll uh, find through um, contractors some uh, resource in that area. So not too concerned at Maligne. The, the, the challenges will be more uh, because the proportions of Inuit on the operation side of things is more pre- predominant at uh, at, at Meadowbank, and so far, like we're more like at 55% of uh, workforce up there. But the construction industry can supply a lot of uh, uh, contractors to for heavy equipment operation, and uh, what we're seeing—you uh, don't expect uh, the Inuits to return probably for uh, a few months at least. And uh, as we ramp up in tonnage, we're going to be basically uh, uh, getting um, employees from that uh, from that group of uh, contractors out there to supply us.
4: And, and, and just so that I understand, I, I, in the press release you mentioned that you've um, stopped on the underground project. Um, are you um, stopping and redirecting um, the employees there to underground at uh, Maludyne? Is that how it's working?
2: Uh, no, actually. Uh, well, yes and no. Some some of the uh, um, manpower has been either returned home. The maintenance guys have been returned. Have been uh, Reintroduce into the site to focus on uh, backlog. Uh, so it's a variety of things, but uh, we will uh, uh, we will adapt. Uh, probably we'll probably restart some minor development work uh, towards the uh, uh, the end of Q2, Q3, and uh, Q4.
4: Okay, and and then maybe Sean for you. And I've, I've been trying to get a, a handle on, on this, and you touched a little bit on it, which has been you know with the the new health and safety measures the spatial distancing, um, I'm trying to understand the long-term impacts, and, and, you know, to the cost structure and productivity to for the mining I- industry, and I've been asking all of the companies this question, n- n- you know, I, and I know you're doing work on it, but can maybe qualitatively give us some, you know, in- indications of what you found to be your greatest challenge on, on, on this basis and your best opportunity, maybe?
1: Well, I Yeah, I think the greatest challenge, you know a lot of these plants are fairly sizable, so you can operate these plants and still respect all the physical distancing measures. Uh, The pressure points um, in the mines are generally at the front gate uh, because there's limited access and limited entrances, Um, so it's that screening process. So the way that we've managed the screening process is you've got to stagger the shifts, and so you don't have as many people showing up at the same time as you normally do to wave hello to the uh, security guard as they pass through Uh, now there's for example at Malartic there's a series of trailers where you have to actually go through um, uh, physical screening and also a series of questions so you have to stagger to go through that so you can manage that without a lot of impact on costs the employees have to adjust to a different shift schedule Um, but it's really in the underground mines um, on the cage deck and in the cage and so the question going forward, again, you stagger the entry. Um, you don't have 150 people showing up, let's say, for example, at Leron, uh at 8 in the morning or 7.30 in the morning, all lining up to jump into the next cage. Uh, we're staggering the shifts, but the capacity in those are half of what they normally would be. The question we have going forward is that um, that's worked. Uh, people are comfortable with it. Um, you know can we get more productive and use that cage better by using face protection whether it's masks whether it's plastic shields um, because we're really focused on that short-term contact it's not like they're standing beside each other for hours as we said it's several minutes Um, so we're looking at ways that we can um, maybe um, utilize those cage systems Uh, better going forward but again it's going to take some time so it's hard to quantify but I think the real opportunity now is what we were trying to do here over the last year as we went through that building phase and we started to ramp everything up is we we said now it's time to look at the workforce and as you're building stuff you know people you know you're adding people and things don't really settle down to give you a chance to really take a close hard look at things so I think what this has done is actually allowed us to strip everything back down again and then reintroduce things very carefully. And we're hopeful at the end of this that we can do the same things we were doing before with a smaller contract workforce. And that could be the opportunity. So it's hard to quantify it now, but from our perspective, this is all manageable. And I think our people really did a good job not just designing things specifically for our minds, but working together with their colleagues and peers and other companies to make the case, particularly to the Quebec government, that this is an industry that can actually do things well and demonstrate leadership around things like hygiene and screening and physical distancing and testing, um, which we think a lot of these things, we should probably just keep them going anyways. because it makes the employees comfortable. So we'll have a better feel for this um you know probably in June. Um and then we can certainly circle back and provide more color on it at that time.
4: Yeah. And 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 I would assume that any additional cost Sean, maybe I'm, I'm you know this is you know something for you to answer is that you know you you'll be getting benefits um from your FX and and fuel hedges. in terms of helping to offset some of these additional costs that would uh, come through the cost structure. Would that be a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I think that that's one thing that um, uh, when we've looked at it with the Treasury Department is that, uh, you know, it's not just the Canadian dollar, but it's all, it's the peso and it's the euro, which Mm -hmm. has moved in a positive direction and the diesel price relative to what we had budgeted and expected. And so what we've really tried to do is just, uh, protect levels uh, better than the budget numbers Um, and on the FX side do it with zero-cost callers so we still have that participation up Um, and and that can make a difference of 40 to 50 dollars an ounce so um, that can have a meaningful impact um, on the unit costs as we go forward Mm. Okay, we look
4: forward to more information on that Sean, but I, I agree with you I think of all industries the mining industry with all its health and safety measures already in place before COVID-19 is, you know, is,
1: is one that uh, is very adaptable
4: to what we have to do. Thank
1: yeah. you. Yeah, yeah thank thanks. You. And, but I think as an industry, we've got to, you know, demonstrate to, you know, not just our owners, but demonstrate to our employees and our communities and the government um, that we can take leadership on this. But it, it, it because that, if we can remain essential, Uh, that puts the industry in a really strong position because we know other industries are gonna struggle. And uh, the gold industry uh, is in this position where it's getting a good price, which could be a better price, and it's able to run at pretty close to normalized levels fairly quickly, which means on a relative basis, the returns that the mining, gold mining industry are going to generate um, uh, should be viewed a lot better um, on a relative basis. And um, as generalists start to revisit, as resource funds start to get a bit of inflow, um, as many of you know, you know, these shares are still not widely owned, particularly um, with the vast pools of money in the U.S. So I think that is the opportunity. The opportunity is to run responsible businesses um, that stay disciplined as the gold price moves up, uh, generate higher returns, uh, move dividends up. Um, that's the formula for success. No guarantee, um, but you know, that's the thing that's certainly uh, in our mind as we think about strategy um, and tactics. Yes,
4: looking forward to that that, that second half uh, margin expansion, so looking forward to
1: that. Thank you. We'll leave it at that. We have our AGM today, uh, which is virtual, so we've got a few things to do before that, Uh, but um, thank you for your attention. What we've tried to do is, uh, because we've been working at home, um, we have the opportunity to get our teams together fairly quickly to respond to inquiries. So as we move forward, if you'd like a one-hour one-on-one to talk about some of these things in more detail, more than happy uh, to do it. So um, again, wherever you are, uh, hopefully you're safe and your family's doing well and we look forward to uh, engaging in person at some time down the road. Thank you. This
0: concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.